Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much and welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help sustain yourself and your wealth for 30 plus years. On today's show, we're going to be discussing five strategies you need to know if we enter into a recession and the difference between privately traded equity and debt REITs and the role that they can play in your portfolio. My name's Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO and president of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how you doing? Doing this fine weekend. I'm doing just great. Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad to hear that, Brian. Of course, I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We certainly enjoy our listeners' company every weekend here on Growing Your Wealth. Well, Brian, historically speaking, when those in the trucking industry start losing their jobs, a recession typically follows. Now, this happened in 1990. It happened in 2000, 2008, and 2020. As I understand it, Brian, trucking employment is currently falling off a cliff. Now, if we enter into a recession... What do investors need to know and why is this important? Yeah, I did want to talk about recession because it's talked about a lot on the airways and so forth. The first thing is the term recession to me either can be scary or not scary. Let me explain. It's a definitional statement, a recession or a depression. A recession is two consecutive negative GDP quarters and a depression is, is four. I'll sum it up in an example. Let's say that we went four quarters and each quarter the GDP dropped 0.1%. We have a depression. That sounds terrible to go through a depression. What if instead we had COVID and the GDP went way down one quarter, double digits. And then let's just say, for instance, the next quarter it was up. We don't even have a recession or a depression. Now, which of those would you rather see? Well, I'd rather see the depression. It only went down 0.4% in a year. Whereas COVID completely changed the world. It changed the country. It, it made us react poorly. We pumped all this money into the economy that got used up. We borrowed it. That caused inflation. That caused the Fed to come in and try and stall the economy. That caused people not to be able to buy houses anymore and not afford their groceries like they could before. On and on and on. We're, we're just getting in the middle of the effects of that. Now, that was one big thud because of the world shutting down. So I'm talking about the, not the depth of a situation, not just the name. Again, I could have a depression and it's not deep. So I was like, well, I can live with 0.4%, you know, or whatever. It went down. It's hard to live with the thuds and the thuds can happen quick. And we just saw that happen. And some people said we had a recession. Well, Republicans said we had a recession. Democrats said, no, no, no. Look the other way. We didn't have a recession. So they couldn't even agree on the term. They couldn't even agree on the word to use for what happened there. Well, I, I saw what happened. <laughs> we had a massive accident, a big blow up, you know, the, the factory blew up. I mean, it, we had a terrible thing happen that's going to linger for years and years and years. And again, we pulled ourselves out by borrowing, but that is not a solution. That's a band-aid. 
And so now we're bleeding again, and it's going to continue for a quite a long time. I don't see inflation going away. We're never going back to what we had before the pandemic. And so I just want to caution on the term recession, depression, what that can or cannot mean. It's really about the depth of the problem that I'm, I'm much more interested in. We did have a trucking fall off here, which is an interesting factoid. And yeah, I, I don't think it's because of the necessarily the normal economy. I, I do believe this is a rebound effect from what we did after the pandemic in 2020. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Brian, it's just the label that people are putting on this. We're waiting for a recession, but you're saying that it's really not black and white. It's sort of gray. And the other thing I picked up on was we're still suffering from what happened in COVID. And you said that you don't really think that things are ever going to return to pre-COVID levels. Would you say that that's a fair statement? I'd say it's a very fair statement for a number of reasons. One is once prices have gone up, they're not going back down. Okay, so we had some huge increases in prices. And, you know, again, depending on which political party you're, you're listening to, it's a big win if, if we went from 8% to 6% inflation. Well, that to me is, is not awesome. Yeah, it's a decrease in the height of the inflation from the prior period, but it's still, it's, it's inflation. Prices are not going back. They're not going to be negative. You're not going to have, oh, yeah, we were up 20% in food prices last year. This year, we're down 20%. That ain't going to happen. It'll never happen. Those prices are locked in. They're not going to go back down. And, you know, we have a lot of damage. Uh, again, first-time home buyers, they can't buy a house anymore. They're looking at 7% mortgages going, well, I could afford it at 35 but at 7 I, I got to be making 40% more. And, yeah. I, and I'm actually making 20% less because of inflation. So now it's 60% more. You know, you just right. you keep doing the math, and it's just terrible. And so, yeah, there's a lot of a depth to this. And, and yeah, it's not going to fix itself. I don't know how long this is going to linger, the, the really bad effects. But some of the bad effects, I think, will linger uh, permanently going forward. And as far as those mortgage rates go, Brian, I have seen them touching 8% at this point. We don't know whether they're going to continue to go up or go down, but we know that it is not good. Brian, I said we would talk about the five strategies that you need to know if we enter into recession. So let's talk about those five strategies that we would use to endure this recession. What's the first one? Yeah, before we get there, Jeff, I just kind of wanted to talk about a couple other things that uh, related to the, the talk about recession, depression, and all of that. Certainly, we're concerned about government shutdowns because they, it seems to be a recurring theme. And the other interesting factoid there is just, it's not really a fact and opinion, is you know, I remember the days of Henry Jackson as a Democratic senator, mm-hmm. and boy, he could work with anybody. Walk across the aisle, his good friends were Republicans, Democrats, didn't matter. And they would work together, they'd solve things. That's not really happening these days, and it's getting worse. And it could get a lot worse depending on, on what's coming up. So we could have some serious governmental issues, which, again, that, that's kind of what caused 2020, whether it was the mandated COVID shutdowns, whether it was the borrowing, the funding of people. Another lingering effect of that, I think, is what it did to our younger generation that lost a couple of years of their life, basically, in development, whether it's through their, their work, their school, their relationships and so forth. I think it's going to have a a long-term mental impact. It also created a situation where young people thought, well, I don't need to work. I don't need Mm. that 40-hour week that everybody's working. My dad worked and his dad and his mom worked and all that. I don't need to do that because I'm just fine living in the basement with my government checks. I don't need to do that. And once you kind of get in that mindset, I don't think that goes away anytime soon. And I see a lot of people just kind of doing the bare minimum now, 
Whereas younger generation, I sound like an old fogey now, no. but I, this was caused by the reaction to COVID. Again, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of effects, I, I believe, from COVID and, you know, government. I used to say on the show, well, government really doesn't affect the markets that much because companies do what they do and they make profit and then they don't really care who's sitting in the office and so forth. I've changed my mind on that. I've seen government just destroy industries and, and go after other ones and just mandate after mandate after mandate I'm seeing. I've never seen it like this before. So now i got to worry about the government, who's making the rules, how long they get to make the rules, whether they're going to have any uh, common sense, not common sense, and I'm, you know, common sense and politicians. Did I just say those two words in the same sentence, <laughs> You Jeff? did. You did. Oh, my gosh. What am I talking about? I, I better take a break from the show. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. So, and like I said, inflation is here to stay. So we got issues. We got some issues. So your question was, what was the first strategy in a right. recession? I would say dollar cost averaging into the market. Okay. Now, what, what is that? Why is that? Well, dollar cost averaging means it's kind of like the, your 401k contributions. That's a dollar cost average. You're putting money in every paycheck, every paycheck, whether the market's up or down or, or sideways, whatever. You just keep funneling it in there over time. We're not timing the market. We're just putting it in there over time. A couple comments on that. I think the reason it's so important is psychological. Because if you're at a set it and forget it, and by the way, when you set that 401k, you know, I, I've talked to people, they say, I don't understand why I can't retire. I've been contributing my 401k for my whole life. And they go, well, how much are you putting in? Oh, 3%, because that's where they match. I'm like, so you think 3% of your salary will be enough to fund 30 years in retirement? I ain't going to work. Uh, you want me to do a spreadsheet for you? Come on, that, it can't be three. It's got to be high. And I had another one. They said, well, I maxed out my 401k, and let's say it was 15000 a year or whatever, and I can't retire, and I don't understand. I couldn't invest more than that. They, didn't, they don't allow it. And I said, what do you mean they don't allow it? Not within the 401k, but you could have taken some of your salary and invested dollar cost average in, into your own private account. And it was like, he said, I never thought of that. I said, you never thought of investing your, your money, your excess money for retirement. He said, no, I, I didn't even think I could. I'm like, well, you can. Well, you could have, you know, it was a little late for him when I talked to him. So dollar cost averaging, if you set it at the right levels, can really pay off because you're going to buy when the market's high, when it's low, and it's in between. But you're going to have a plan, a systematic investment strategy, systematically investing over time, over time, over time. And if you have a decent level there, whether it's just your 401k, maybe maxing it out, and then some money outside of that into other investments, that's a big win. I mean, people that do that, generally speaking, have very good finances throughout their retirement. So I can't tell you how important it is, I'm I'm trying, but dollar cost averaging is so important and and I I've said this is for a recession. This is for any time, basically. If you want a successful retirement, financial retirement, dollar cost average at appropriate levels uh, throughout your life and your chances are very high that will, that will be successful. Five strategies you need to know if we enter into a recession. And our first strategy is dollar cost averaging. Brian, what would you say is number two? Well, you need to make sure that your portfolio consists of uncorrelated assets. And I want to go back to this 401k example. Let's say that all you did was invest in your 401k and you maxed it out or whatever throughout your life. Well, I know what your options are. Your options were a cash account, bond funds, and stock funds. And that maybe the company stock. And that's kind of it. So your investments are going to move a certain direction depending on the stock and bond market. And that's pretty much it. 
And this show, we talk about uncorrelated asset classes all the time. And the reason this is important is if you're in a 401k, let me list off a couple things you cannot invest in. You cannot invest in a fixed or fixed index annuity with lifetime cash flow or protected earnings. You can't invest in long-term care, asset-based long-term care, or permanent life insurance. You, you can't invest in private non-traded equity or debt REITs or structured notes or buffered ETFs, private equity. The list goes on and on. All these asset classes we talk about on this show, you can't even acquire through a 401k plan. So how in the world can you get a properly diversified portfolio of uncorrelated assets when you don't even have the option if that's all there is? So that's why I often encourage people to invest outside their 401k into other asset classes in addition to the 401k and have that balance of uncorrelated asset classes so that no matter what kind of market we run into, you don't get devastated by uh, bad timing. Brian, I want to open the phone lines right now if our listeners have a simplified portfolio. Maybe they've got stocks, bonds, money in a 401k, and they're looking for some strategies here for this recession or diversification. I want them to call 833-673-7373 right now so that you can request your Madrona analysis. Once again, that number is 833-673-7373. If you're nervous about a possible recession, again, that number is 833-673-7373. And as I said, our phone lines are open right now to get your no cost, no obligation, no judgment Madrona analysis. Now, you've got to have at least $500,000 of investable assets to qualify for the Madrona analysis. As a bonus, we'll also send you out Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. And once again, you can call right now because the phone lines are open. You'll get a friendly voice who will ask you a couple of basic questions. Then your information will go to our team who will reach out to you within one business day to schedule your analysis. Once again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could be just what you need to help uncover several blind spots while improving your overall quality of life for the next 30 plus years. Once again, that number, you can call it right now, 833-673-7373. That is 833-673-7373. We're talking about five strategies you need to know in these uncertain economic times. We've talked about dollar cost averaging into the market and also making sure that your portfolio consists of uncorrelated assets. Brian, what's the next one? Uh, The next one is focusing on income generating assets. And when I say income generating, I don't just mean, you know, a very low yield from a a stock fund or a bond fund. Uh, In fact, uh, for instance, the S&P 500 yield is is in the, I think, the ones somewhere. And then if you're having it managed by somebody, uh, their fee is in the ones. So you kind of net very little. And so that's not what I mean by income generating asset. We were talking a little bit about 401k plans and how they're they're restricted on the types of assets. And, And what's interesting to me is generally speaking, when I meet somebody that's trying to consider whether they can retire and how that retirement would look, their primary objective of the five main objectives is, I'll do them in reverse order, liquidity, tax savings, growth, security, and cash flow. Cash flow being the primary objective in retirement. That's going to really dictate the lifestyle that you can lead financially. And so, you know, you're looking at your 401k plan going, wait a second, none of the choices in my 401k are geared to be lifetime income generating assets. But that's my most important objective. So we have a disconnect here because of your, your, your inability to invest in the types of things that, that we talk about on this show. Now, an interesting side note to that is if you have a 401k plan from a previous employer, or if you are at 59 and a half or older, you probably have the ability to roll it over into your IRA and then 
we can help you invest in these areas we talk about on this show, whether that's the, the real estate area, the lifetime guaranteed lifetime cash flow, all these different areas that we, we talk about on the show that can produce significant cash flow in retirement that is not available in your 401k can be. Again, if you've left your job at any age, you can be 40 and you've left a, a job at Microsoft and you have a big 401k plan, we can work with that. If you're 59 and a half and you're still working, we can work with that because we can roll money out generally out of uh, any 401k plan, 403b or, or other like plan into your IRA and then give you uh, give access to these other asset classes. Brian, can you give us some uh, examples of income generating assets? Yeah, one of the, the primary tools for that would be a fixed index annuity with increasing lifetime cash flow second to die. So that sounds pretty good. I mean, God, oh, you mean it can't run out? It can't ever lower the the payment? Uh, it actually will go up over time. If I pass away, it goes to my spouse. If we both pass away prematurely, the money that's within the account goes to my heirs. That sounds like a pretty good thing. So, you know, again, if you're one of those sales guys that says, I hate annuities and you should too because you don't sell annuities, frankly, uh, this is, can be a very good tool for that job, the job of providing sustainable, predictable lifetime cash cash flow. A fixed index annuity can be, in certain situations, a very good use for that purpose. Another area that can provide uh, cash flow, we'll be talking a lot more on in the second half of the show today, is private non-traded real estate investment trust, credit funds, private equity, other kinds of investments that can provide exceptional cash flow if you got the right one and you've done your research. And we'll talk about how we research those again in the second half. But these are the kind of income generating assets. Uh, there's there's others I, I won't get into on the on the show today, but that we would go over with you because again, that's that's generally the primary issue we're trying to solve for when working with somebody to uh, set up a successful retirement. Brian, where does real estate fall into this conversation? Real estate's one of the six areas you can invest in. Uh, if you listen to my show, you know that they're cash cash equivalents, the bond market, stock market, real estate market insurance company products, and alternative investments. So it's one of the primary ones, and it's one of the biggest ones out there. You know, again, I, I mentioned if you're driving down the road in a city, look around, everything there is a rental. Somebody owns that. If a corporation owns it, somebody owns a corporation. It, it, eventually, a person or people own all this real estate. 40% of all residences in the United States are rentals. 100% of all commercial properties are rentals. And so we have to see that that is a massive asset class. And according to J.P. Morgan, their analysis I read every quarter, the 25-year return on the real estate sector is higher than all the other ones they track. And so it has been successful asset class in general. However, <laughs> there are some bad players, some bad apples, as there is in anything. So we have to know how to vet this stuff properly. Again, we'll be talking about that in the second half of the show, and I'll, I'll give some inside information on how we vet this stuff. But to get it right, if you have real estate in your portfolio, a lot of my clients, the reason they have successful retirements uh, financially is because at some point uh, they invested in real estate along the way. We're talking about five strategies you need to know during these uncertain times, and we have talked about dollar cost averaging into the market, uncorrelated assets, and focusing on income generating assets. That's uh, three, Brian. What is number four? Don't react to the market. Markets are always going to be volatile, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, whether it's uh, whatever you're in. If you're reacting emotionally, you're probably going to do the wrong thing. 
you're probably, and it happens, it's happened forever. People buy high and sell low. They buy when their emotions feel good and uh, markets are up and they sell when they feel bad and they're down. And so we're supposed to do the exact opposite of what our, our emotions are telling us. We're supposed to buy when it doesn't look like it's done well. Uh, we're supposed to sell when it has done well and it's at, at a peak. We'll never know what that is. That's, let's get back to the first one, dollar cost averaging into the market. But my point is just not to react. The saying, it's, it's not timing the market that gets you there. It's time in the market. You know, a lot of young people I talk to, oh, the stock market's terrible. It just goes down and down and down. Even older people, they'll say, oh, gosh, I hate the stock market. It just goes down all the time. And I'm thinking, well, gosh, as I remind people of my age here, I, I remember when I was at work and, and the Dow was 2,000 and now it's 30-something thousand. So I'm thinking, well, no, it goes up over time. But how many times along the way have we had big drops, long-term drops, uh, the decade of 2000 through 2010, that one, it it just was terrible. We had two crashes in the middle of it. We had recessions. We had all kinds of problems. And, and the market was not up during that decade as, as a total. And so people that reacted to that market probably reacted poorly. And so that's why, uh, again, we, you know, my other points here, uh, having uncorrelated asset classes. Just because the market's down doesn't mean your investments have to be down. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the fundamental of one of the six areas, the insurance company products. They're putting in floors on their investments, most of them. The ones that we work with have floors, so it can't go down. And so that's an interesting part of an asset class, especially in recessionary times or in volatile times within the market. And in the next segment, we're going to be talking about not only talking about quality companies, but also quality products and REITs. Brian, we've got one more to go here. What is it? Yeah, it's investing in quality products that you understand. And that could be anywhere. You can buy bad stock market funds or stocks. You can buy good ones. You can invest in good bonds, bad bonds, good real estate, bad real estate, good insurance company products, bad insurance company products. There is no perfect product. Otherwise, it'd be pretty simple. We'd have a half hour show. We'd close it down. We would never come back on next week, I guess. But understanding how to vet the properties and know, understand the area, because you can't just say, you know, again, I harken back to the, I hate annuities and you should too, people, which is ridiculous. You should never hate an asset class. But I don't like certain annuities. Uh, variable annuities are very rarely are something I would put anybody into, or if ever. Certain fixed annuities are poor. Certain fixed index annuities are poor. Their, their strategies don't allow for enough upside or, or, or something to do with that. So we vet these things. And, and again, set in the next part of the show, we're going to be talking about vetting of real estate products specifically, but certainly investing in quality uh, products that you understand. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs, and we have been talking about five strategies you need to know in these uncertain times. Once again, if you have questions, you can call this number right now. We've opened the phone lines for you, 833-673-7373. That's the number to get your no-cost, no-obligation Madrona analysis. Once again, that number, 833-673-7373. If you call and you're qualified, you have $500,000 or more of investable assets, we'll send you out, Brian. Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Once again, do it right now, 833-673-7373. 
If you're just joining us, this is Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. My name is Jeff Shade, and if you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. You'll get this show and weekday takeaways so that you can stay on top of your wealth and how to grow it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be discussing the difference between privately traded equity and debt REITs and the role they can play in your portfolio. Stay tuned. Growing Your Wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And this segment, we're going to be talking about the difference between privately traded equity and debt REITs and the role they can play in your portfolio. Brian, in our last segment, you shared the importance of having some of your investments in other uncorrelated markets. And I would assume that REITs can help someone do just that. So what do our listeners, do you think, need to know about this type of investment? First thing is, is not all REITs are created equal. Let's put that one out there first. It's like the stock market. Not all stocks are created equal. There's thousands of choices. There's so many different products out there and product types. So we're, we're not going to talk about every product, but we are going to get a little granular on real estate. Just to give you a little introduction into the depth of, of the topic and how we vet these kinds of things. But the first thing I want to talk about is publicly traded REITs. Now, a publicly traded REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, is where a company has accumulated a large number, typically, of different kinds of real estate. You can have publicly traded REITs in a particular kind of real estate, in a diverse mix, a regional, it could be international, U.S., all different kinds of real estate. And you might be saying, well, okay, yeah, I'm just going to buy the Vanguard public trader REIT. I got this real estate thing. I don't need to listen to you, Brian. No, you might want to listen to this because different kinds of real estates react differently in different markets. Certainly the Vanguard, any index, I won't pick on Vanguard. They're just an index. They track uh, basically all real estate. And if you just track all real estate, you'll see that it's been down. It was down last year. It's down this year. Interest rates uh, increasing hurts the value of real estate. It just does. So you might be going, well, why would I have something that's down two years in a row in my portfolio? That sounds terrible. Well, that's the publicly traded REIT sector. And one of the problems with the publicly traded REIT sector, the biggest problem to me, is uh, something that you would normally think is a positive. Liquidity. Oh, right. you know, public tier REITs are liquid? That sounds like a good thing, Brian. And I'm here to tell you that is not a good thing. This is a long-term asset. And to make it liquid, you have to give something up. So a public trade REIT, you could you know, buy on Tuesday and sell on Friday. I mean, you can whipsaw that fund or you and a thousand other investors could buy on Monday and sell on Friday. Well, what does that create? Well, if, if you all bought sometime in the past and then everybody puts in a sell order on the same month or day or week or whatever, that REIT is in a heap of hurt because they've got to come up with the money and close your, your trade order within three days. And how do you sell real estate and lots of it if you only have three days to complete the transaction? Well, you cannot. And so they have to have alternative things in their toolbox to provide for that. They can't be fully invested. They, they have to have letters of credit and maybe pay a lot of interest or whatever it is to avoid a fire sale. They have to have these things put in place. So just know that I saw this happen uh, last year, when there was a run on, on real estate, when rates started going up, we saw public trade REITs lose a lot of value. Uh, a lot of different REITs lost value. Conversely, there's something called private non-traded REITs. 
they're illiquid. Again, Brian, that sounds like a bad thing. I want to be able to buy on Monday and sell on Friday. Okay, then buy your public trade or read, but if you're a long-term investor, you're okay with illiquidity in your real estate. Is your house liquid? Well, no, <laughs> you can't just sell a room. You know, well, I got a four bedroom house, uh, I, I need some cash, uh, I wanna go on a trip, maybe I'll sell one of those bedrooms. <laughs> you know, it, It's an illiquid asset. Right. And so we understand that illiquid assets sometimes are our best assets. Let's think about our illiquid assets. Again, you, you think, well, illiquidity, that's bad. No, it doesn't have to be bad at all. An illiquid asset is your house. It's your vacation home. It's your rental property. A business is an illiquid asset. You don't just sell some of your business when you want a little cash infusion. So that's an illiquid asset. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, most businesses are a good thing. It's something you don't want to sell. It provides income over a long period of time like real estate does or a place to live like your residence does. Illiquidity can be your friend. And with private non-traded equity REITs, that lack of liquidity makes it so there won't be a fire sale. There won't be a rush to the bank. There won't be all these sell orders that they have to produce on. If they do get that, they limit them. So there is liquidity in these, but it can be limited if a lot of people want to sell on the same quarter. But they have a process to make it so that the fund doesn't take the hit and it could do it over time in a more ordered manner. And so we don't have negatively affect the asset class, the investment into the REIT. So just that one little thing that you would think is a bad thing or a good thing actually is reversed when it comes to real estate. We're talking about publicly traded REITs and privately traded REITs, but Brian, there are also these things called debt REITs. What are those? Yeah, debt REITs. So the ones I was talking about, equity REITs, equity means that you have share of ownership in the real estate itself. So if that real estate goes up in value, okay, your, your investment goes up. If it goes down in value, your investment goes down. So there are two components to an equity REIT. There's the cash flow generated from the rents which is a big reason we use these products because again, earlier in the show, I was talking about, you know, what's the primary thing I'm trying to solve for, for most people entering retirement, cash flow. Where can I get good cash flow? Well, generally rents are a good place to get cash flow. And uh, especially if you're, you got an adequate cap rate and, and you have the right investments. So that can be a great place to produce cash flow is through these. But you will also have the secondary component of the appreciation or depreciation of the underlying value of the real estate. So you have the two components when you compute your return. Now, conversely, with debt REITs, what are they and how did they come about? Well, basically, a debt REIT is where you're being the bank and you're lending money out. And so it's secured by something. So what happened after 2008 when the banking collapse happened and regional banks basically went away, a lot of small local banks went away, all of the borrowing capacity dried up. There weren't loans being made to the middle market, to smaller corporations, you know, not the S&P 500, but the, the small caps. And, you know, when they wanted to expand or merge with their other companies or, or do whatever, borrow, there were no banks making those loans. They were basically regulated out of the business. So money finds money. So companies put together private funds, we'll call it a credit fund in this case, where investors pool their money and then the company can go out and find good, well-secured loans to lend out at premium rates. And so sometimes they'll be lending, uh, if they're lending based upon the stock of a company, they might be lending out at prime plus 6%, say. And if prime is, is already at five and you know, and, and they're getting another six, so that, that to me is 11. It can be very high rates uh, of returns on these. It could be somewhat lower 
if they're secured by real estate assets and all of that. But just that area of the market is basically where you're investing with other investors who are pooling their money, hiring a manager to make loans, large loans, secured by real estate or stock, and you get your monthly interest paid out to you, and it can be a a wonderful place to make cash flow, you will not see really any appreciation in this because you don't own the equity, you own the the note, you own the debt. So in every real estate transaction or most real estate transactions, there's an owner of the real estate and there's a lender for the mortgage. Well, you're the lender for the mortgage in, in this scenario. And so you might have some of each. You might own some real estate and enjoy the appreciation if there is any, plus the rental cash flow. And you can be on the other side of the equation as a investor in a credit fund and get your very high interest, higher than junk bonds. I mean, yet they're secured, depending on the fund that you're investing in, they can have a very good security or not. So that's that's part of the vetting process we got to go through. Brian, I understand that investors can own REIT securities directly, but can they own them through mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, that sort of thing? Uh, not generally. The funds I'm talking about, you can only buy through a financial advisor. Okay. Uh, sometimes you have to be an accredited investor and so forth. And I want to nerd out just for a second because I was reviewing something yesterday and I just pulled it up on my screen. And, you know, I'm talking about real estate. And we generally think, okay, that's a house, right? Well, no. In the private non-traded equity REITs where you own real estate, I have a list of the types of real estate that where this company has determined that we're going to see growth above the average for the upcoming year. And it's just interesting to think about all the different areas. So they got industrial parks, number one. And I agree with that because the correlation between industrial parks demand and internet sales is about a one-to-one. Mm-hmm. And internet sales are supposed to double in five years. So all we have to do is double our all of our industrial parks in the country in five years. Ain't going to happen. No. <laughs> so you're not going to have two Kent Valleys and, you know, it's just not going to happen. So what does that mean? That means that demand for the space is going to exceed supply. And what does, you know, remember Economics 101? Oh, yeah. Prices go up. Rents go up. So I totally agree with that. Uh, the next one's cold storage, single-family rentals, healthcare facilities, data centers, manufactured homes, apartments, life science, and self-storage. All different asset classes. You literally can invest in any of the above, all of the above, some of the above through private non-traded equity REITs. And one of the things I love about private non-traded equity REITs is that they can be very laser focused on a particular area that I like. Other areas that they project to be lower is towers, lodging, uh, hotels, malls, strip centers, gaming centers, ground leases, office, and net lease properties. So they are projected by this company to be below the long-term average. So that was a lot of different areas of real estate that I just brought up there. And each one has pros and cons. And part of the vetting process has to be an analysis of that because if you pick the wrong ones, you'll you'll lose money. <laughs> if you pick mm-hmm. the right ones, you probably will make money. I mean, it's, it's like that with anything, with the right stock funds, bond funds, real estate funds, the right annuities, the right alternative investments. It matters. Well, you know, that's why I have a job, I guess we could say. Not only can we provide access to this part of the market that you can't get on your own, but we're very good at vetting the different products out there. That's that's We put a lot of effort into doing the best we can to vet these products so that we have a good outcome. And that's a very important point that you make there, Brian, is the vetting of these products with so many different products like this. I mean, I would imagine that there is a lot of research that goes into figuring out which ones are the best ones. Brian, how do shareholders treat REIT dividends for tax purposes? 
Yeah, read dividends can get different kinds of, of treatment. We can have a, a reduction in the amount of taxable income. Sometimes there's even depreciation passing through, which can defer or potentially eliminate if you have a step up in basis someday. But there are different tax treatments. Uh, I don't want to lose all my listeners and start reciting tax code on this show, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I can say that there, there is something to that. It's certainly a, a big topic when we're discussing another alternative real estate class, Delaware Statutory Trusts, as they relate to 1031 exchanges. So that's something that very few people on this planet can have a deep conversation about. I'm unfortunately one of them, so I put some people to sleep with that one, but no, it's, it's a very important thing to understand at a deep level, the tax implications of investing. That's kind of the basis of our company, uh, combining a CPA firm with an investment advisory practice. That's, that's paramount. It's a cornerstone of, of what we do. So there can, there can be different tax treatments. So, Brian, our listeners may or may not be interested in REITs based on our conversation today, but let's talk about how REITs fit into the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I'll start with a, a study that J.P. Morgan put out where they take a typical s- stock bond mix and they add alternatives and real estate to that mix. And in all cases, on average, this is about averages from J.P. Morgan. Jeff, let me ask you a question. Would you like it if I could take your investments and decrease their risk and volatility, but increase their returns? Of course, I would like an investment that has higher returns with lower risk. Okay, so that's why we're talking about this, because that's what their report put out, and that's certainly one of the aspects. Now, when we talk about investing, we always talk about uh, five things they can accomplish, growth, security, liquidity, cash flow, and tax savings. Now, what's interesting about the REIT area, if you do it right, if you pick the right ones, they can grow. Okay, so we have that. They produce rents. Oh, we can have cash flow growth and cash flow. I like those. Are they liquid? Not as liquid. They, they might be quarterly liquid. You might have to wait some time to get it if there's been a lot of orders put in, but somewhat on the liquidity side, do they provide tax savings? Well, sometimes they can, especially with Delaware Statutory Trust and some REITs. And then finally, the last one is security. Now, I will never say that a risk investment like stocks or real estate is a secure asset, but I do know one thing. The more diversification, true diversification I have in my portfolio, the more secure my portfolio is. So I could have 15 different somewhat risky things in my portfolio. I could have a structured note, buffered ETFs and and DSTs and opportunity zones and stocks and U.S. and foreign and all these different areas. And individually, they carry risk. They can go down. But as a group, the more different areas I have, the less my risk. So that's what I really like about real estate is not only can I see that growth potentially reduce my risks, uh, portfolio risk in this case through diversification, have all these other components, but I'm also solving for one of the things most of my retired clients want is cash flow. The rents from the REITs can produce very significant cash flow for a portion of your portfolio. Again, we'll get to the vetting part here in a second, but that's why we're, we're having this conversation. There can be a lot of benefits to adding other asset classes such as private non-traded equity or debt REITs to your portfolio. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs about the difference between privately traded equity and debt REITs and the role that they can play in your portfolio. And if you're listening to the program today and you want answers about real estate exposure in your portfolio, then I invite you to call 833-673-7373 right now so that you can request your Madrona analysis. Phone lines are open right now at 833-673-7373 for your Madrona analysis. Now, you must have at least $500,000 
dollars of investable assets to qualify for the Madrona analysis, but those who do qualify will be able to enjoy a conversational analysis intended to dynamically cover a wide range of topics, including debt and equity REITs. And as a bonus, we will send you out a copy of Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Once again, there's no cost. There is no obligation for this Madrona analysis. You can call that number right now, 833-673-7373, 833-673-7373. Remember, one call could make all the difference. Brian, we've talked about the different aspects of REITs here. You mentioned a little bit about the vetting process. It seems rather complicated. Can you go into a little more detail on how you determine which are the best REITs and which are the ones that we'd like to stay away from? Yeah, I think the best way to do that is through an example, real-life example of what has happened. Now, I mentioned uh, on the show that the products I'm talking about, you can only get through a financial advisor. So let's say you go to a financial advisor, and most of them will say, we don't offer what Brian's talking about. They don't offer Delaware statutory trusts, opportunity zones, private non-traded equity or debt REITs, or private equity. So that's not even a discussion that's had. If you're lucky enough to be with an advisor that can have that discussion, the next step is to, like we were talking about earlier in the show, a recession, it's it's the depth. What's their depth of knowledge and ability to vet that type of investment? Because it's going to be paramount to your final outcome. Uh, you can pick the right one, you can pick the wrong one. They can pick the right one, they can pick the wrong one. So what are they bringing to the table? So that's that's kind of what I want to talk about. And the example I have is I went to a conference recently. There was over 600 people there. It was all about alternative real estate investments and other alternatives, uh, DSTs, private non-traded equity debt REITs, that kind of thing. And it just blew me away. I was listening to people talk. I was reading their prospectuses. We were looking through this and and I could usually pick it up pretty quick. You know, what's wrong with this picture? Why are you able to offer twice the cash flow that your competitors can offer when you're trying to buy the same properties? Red flag goes up right away. And I saw other advisors looking at their slick brochures and going, wow, this looks really great or asking questions about it. And they just believed their answers from the salesperson. Well, that salesperson is going to tell you what you want to hear, right? And so we take a different approach. Uh, as a CPA, I, I had to be an auditor and prepare audited financial statements for a living. I know how to read one, I think better than most. And so when we start doing the deep dive, we see things like, oh, the first year uh, yield is pumped up because they're going to pull money out of reserves and pretend that that's the actual rents that this place is receiving when in actuality it's half that and they're just propping it up to try and make a sale. And that is actually happening in that industry. And people don't know that. And so you're looking at something thinking, well, if they pay 7%, that means they're getting 7% net rental income. No, maybe they're getting three and a half and they're borrowing three and a half to make it look like they're making seven. So you buy their product and after one year, they drop it to three and a half. So and you, it's a bait and switch. And and so that that's just one of, you know, I could, I could name 50 vetting points that we look at, you know, what's their track history? What's their exit strategy? What are their fees going? in uh, to operate to be a property manager coming out what you know all the different what types of asset classes what's their experience with them I could go on and on to all these vetting points but the, the point of this is how important that is that the person that can sell you this product which is a financial advisor and trust me most financial advisors do not have a lot of experience in real estate that's mm. not something that's really covered in our industry or talked about they can tell you all about stock market all about the bond market all about annuities but very few can be conversational on uh, real estate private equity Delaware statutory trust opportunity zones private debt funds all of these areas they can be such an important component and 
And you want to make sure that, you know, if you're getting a surgery, you want that surgeon to have experience in the type of surgical procedure that they're operating it within. You don't want somebody that's that's faking it till they make it. And that's a, that was a term I was using with my associate there. I said, man, not only are some of these sponsors fake it till they make it, but a lot of these advisors probably are too. I didn't want to call them out in front of them, but I'm right. just listening to the questions going, uh, you're not asking the right question here. You should be asking, why doesn't this look right? Why doesn't this smell right? What's going on behind the scenes? So I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the vetting process as it relates to these alternative asset classes. And that is so surprising, Brian, that uh, many financial advisors do not have a good handle on real estate, active or passive real estate, because it appears to me, at least in my experience with you, that real estate and picking the right real estate is really one of the biggest parts of a portfolio. I think it's a, a cornerstone asset. A lot of advisors, because they don't have experience with it and don't sell it, maybe they had some bad experiences because, and, and some clients come in, they go, well, I don't want real estate. And I'm like, really? What's wrong with real estate? Well, I had a bad experience. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm sure you did. Because 20 years ago, you invested in a limited partnership sold by an advisor. And they go, yep, that's what I did. And I lost my shorts. I'm like, yeah. Real estate funds of the past really were overall poor. When I started public accounting, they were super poor. They were terrible. The fees inside of them were huge and they had all these syndications and limited partnerships out there that was the buzz in the 80s and very few people came out unscathed from that even 10 years ago i was not offering i mean i've talked about this on the radio for a lot now but 10 15 years ago i was not offering any of the products i'm talking about now because the industry hadn't righted itself it wasn't until fairly recently, maybe call it eight years or less, that one of the big players put out a quality, a high quality, low cost, private non-traded equity REIT. And then the others followed suit so that they could compete. And so now the inventory of what we have to pick from, the quality of it is so much higher than I'd ever seen it in my career that now I can get behind putting a portion of someone's portfolio in this. Again, there's no panacea. There's no easy button. There's no putting all your eggs in this fantastic basket. Uh, it can be a component of a properly diversified portfolio that provides for cash flow and growth and so forth. So that's that's what we're looking for here when I, when I talk about this. But the industry has changed and we certainly make it a priority to understand the best we can this part of this industry. Yes, and as the industry grows and changes, Brian, you certainly have to grow and change with your ability to be able to vet these things. Yeah, no question about it. And and we have, you know, it's not just Brian, of course. I've got staff, I got an investment committee, I have one financial advisor. That's his primary job is just vetting this alternative asset class. And one of the the other things I haven't really talked about is private equity. So there's there's different uh, you know, it's the easiest thing to get into is a publicly traded REIT. We talked about some of the the downfalls of that. You can get into the next layer up the chain there is a private non-traded REIT, smaller funds, more sniper-like in, in your approach as to what kind of real estate you're buying. Next up on the risk-reward continuum is private equity. So private equity, how it differentiates from private non-traded equity REITs is the equity REITs, we already know what properties we're buying. We can look at them. We see the picture. We know what the rents are. We know what we're paying for them, all that kind of stuff. A private equity fund, however, 
is not that way. That's usually a development fund. That's where we're going to take a piece of land and build something on an apartment building or whatever. That's where we're going to buy maybe uh, an old Kmart shell and turn it into an automated drive-through self-storage. Mm-hmm. These are higher risk assets, but the expectation from the sponsor and, and from me and from my investors in these is that they will have a much higher return because with higher risk, you hope to have higher reward. And so we do have several of these we vetted through that for those clients that don't need access to that liquidity right away and are willing to wait for the development process to get through, it's a great way to consider, you know, you can either go out and buy a piece of land and go to the county and get plans and build it yourself, figure mm-hmm. it out. You know, that's hard for most of us and we don't have the access to those that kind of capital. But we can participate in experienced uh, sponsors that are putting out some of these private equity investments that could be a very interesting component of a well-diversified portfolio. Brian, we've talked a lot about REITs here and the pros and cons of those. Can you do just a brief summary on real estate investment trusts and uh, why someone may or may not want them in their portfolio? Yeah. As I mentioned, uh, most people are in publicly traded REITs and they have not done well the last couple of years for various reasons, which we covered. There's a lot of other ways to get into passive real estate, whether it's private non-traded equity REITs, private equity, Delaware statutory trust, opportunity zones, and all of that. And I know we, I put out a lot of information on this show, and some people might be intimidated by that and say, well, gosh, I, I don't know all that stuff, Brian. I, and they may not even want to come in because they're going to feel like they're expected to know this stuff. Really, when it comes down to it, is your expectation of Madrona should be, if you decide to come in and have us at least look at your portfolio and, and discuss this stuff, is that even if you don't know all the particulars that I was covering today that we do, that we have put in the work, that we have put in the effort, we have access to all these different things, and we can see if that makes sense to work together to give you access to that stuff. Because, again, all this stuff, you have to go through a financial advisor, and hopefully you're going through someone that can have the conversation that we've had today on the radio about these areas that understands it to that level. And so I just want to, again, just let people know that we put in the work here, and hopefully when we get together with you to discuss these options, we're not going to limit the options we're looking at. We're not limited scope advisors. We're trying to be full scope advisors that have offerings across the board and held to the fiduciary responsibility, which we are, that we would try and figure out the best solution for you. Brian, I'm sure that our listeners, uh, based on this conversation, may have some questions about real estate investment trust or just passive real estate in general. And if you do have questions, again, that number to call 833-673-7373. Now, we've opened the phone lines for you right now so you can get through and request your Madrona analysis that may include real estate investment trust. Once again, that number is 833-673-7373. And as I said, the phone lines are open right now. Now, you must have at least $500,000 of investable assets to qualify for the Madrona analysis, but those who do qualify will be able to enjoy again this conversational talk to dynamically cover a wide range of topics based on your unique individual situation. And as a bonus, if you call right now, we'll send you a copy of Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Again, you'll get a friendly voice in the other end of the line right now today. We'll ask you a couple of very basic questions, then put you in touch with one of our advisors who will get back to you typically within one business day. It's not going to cost you a dime. 
time, no obligation whatsoever, but it could be just what you need to help uncover several blind spots while improving your overall quality of life for the next 30 plus years. Again, that telephone number, very simple, 833-673-7373. Brian, we've covered a lot on the show today. Once again, we want to remind our listeners that we are also a podcast. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and look for Brian Evans Growing Your Wealth. You'll get this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your journey towards retirement. Brian, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, I want to thank our listeners here in the Puget Sound for joining us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. DST investments are only available to accredited investors and offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. Madrona Financial and CPAs is a registered trade name used singly and collectively for the affiliated entities Madrona Financial Services LLC, Madrona, and Bauer Evans Inc. PC. Bauer Evans. Investment advisory services are provided through Madrona. CPA services are provided through Bauer Evans.